The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I seriously thought about uh, beginning this sermon by simply holding up a placard, John 3.16. (laughs) And then uh, I was reminded that I had an experience as a a new young uh, second lieutenant in the Air Force that uh, somehow helps me understand why I don't have a positive reaction to that. Uh, When I first came into the Air Force, I came in with... I think about five other people into the same office, and two of them were from the Air Force Academy. One of them was a person that became a good friend of mine. As we got to know each other better, we found out that we both were people of faith, cared a lot about our faith and how we practiced it. But he, he had been a part of an organization called the Navigators. The Navigators is a very conservative student organization that's been at the Air Force Academy since probably the late 50s. And you've heard probably about the Air Force Academy and some of the extreme, uh, extremely conservative Christians that are there and the influence on it. That goes back way to the 50s. Well, anyway, Paul would, from time to time, uh, take me by the collar, so to speak, and say, are you saved? And I thought, gee, I thought I was. (laughs) It was... I heard that as condemnation, like uh, somehow the fact that I've been baptized, I've been raised in a Christian home, I had, I'm a part of a Christian church. I, in fact, I was a fairly new Episcopalian, only been an Episcopalian for about three years. I was infatuated with my faith, just to some degree. And then he would ask me if, if I was saved. I found that very judgmental, and I found that very condemning. And I think that that understanding of, of uh, coming to faith in Christ, that idea of saying a formulary, a particular set of words, and then you're in, so to speak, comes from this third chapter of John. And part of that is John 3.16, but it's also the part that precedes it that I wish had been a part of the lectionary. But I think we need to go there in order to have a better understanding 
of what is happening in this particular passage. Uh, This passage today comes from uh, the meeting that occurs between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is an interesting fellow because he only appears in the Gospel of John. But he appears there three times. First, in this uh, meeting with Jesus. Uh, A second time, he appears uh, when the Sanhedrin is trying to deliberate about what to do with Jesus during Holy Week. And he reminds them that no one can be judged unless they're heard. So, in a sense, he stood up for justice for Jesus. And then we see him finally at the foot of the cross. And he's there with Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph offering his tomb for Jesus. And Nicodemus having brought spices. And they believe that he may have brought as much as 100 pounds of spices for the burial of Jesus. So Nicodemus is a very interesting fellow. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. So this is somebody that people paid attention to. Because the Sanhedrin was uh, the legislative and judicial body in Israel. He was also uh, a Samaritan. So he was one who had authority when it came to religious things. And besides that, he was probably a person of great privilege in a place where there was tremendous need. And he comes to Jesus in the night and probably for a practical reason, he came at night so that he wouldn't be identified because it wasn't clear yet how he saw himself in relation to Jesus. But we also need to keep in mind that in John's gospel, there is all of this contrast between light and dark, uh, starting at the very beginning in the prologue. In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and then later and, and the light came into the world and the darkness could not stand against it. We see this contrast of light and dark all through John. So that's also at play in this. Before Nicodemus can even ask a question, Jesus tells him that he must be born from above or born again. You get that word? (laughs) That's what Paul wanted me to be, born again. That's part of what I think comes out of this particular part of John. Well, Nicodemus didn't get it, just like perhaps I didn't get it. He keeps wondering, what is this about? I can't go back into my mother's womb. You remember all of this, I think. And then Jesus goes on from there, and that picks up with our passage today. And Jesus says that I must be lifted up just like the serpent on the the pole was lifted up by Moses in the desert. Now, this is also a rather bizarre passage because it's uh, it's something that we need to, I think, uh, recognize in terms of how our understanding of God has evolved over many, many uh, generations. When we hear what we hear from the book of Numbers, I think, is an understanding of a tribal God. And the people believe that everything that happened happened because of God. So when the snakes came and bit them and they were dying, they understood this to be punishment from God because of their sin. And their sin had been that they had complained to Moses and God because they didn't have water. They didn't have food. It's a little weird because they said, we don't like the food. (laughs) They must have had food. (laughs) But they complained and then they realized that God was punishing them. They repented. They appealed to Moses, pray on our behalf to God to send the snakes away. 
Well, God chooses not to send the snakes away, but rather to tell Moses to create this, uh, this poisonous uh, bronze snake and put it on a pole. And if the people will simply gaze upon the snake, they will be healed and they will live. Now, the odd thing is that Jesus uses this very kind of obscure image from the Hebrew scriptures to talk about himself and about his crucifixion and eventually about his being, uh, being raised up in terms of being glorified after that. But what's even more odd about it is when you realize that the people became so fixated on the snake, they began to worship it. And Hezekiah in 2 Kings, you'll read there that he commanded that the bronze snake be pounded into pieces so the people would no longer worship it. I think that's an important warning for us because it's very easy for us to worship the vehicle of God's grace and not worship God. I think that happens especially when you find these mega churches that have a a big personality uh, minister who is kind of at the heart of that ministry. And people start to put their faith in that person. And they, I think they miss worshiping God. So I think that's one thing that we can get from that particular passage. But I hope that you will uh, keep in mind when you hear those readings that seem so bizarre, that that is part of our understanding of God as we have evolved in our spirituality over many, many years. Well, then uh, Jesus talks about the passage that we have from 316, where he says that God so loved the world that God gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. It's interesting to me that the word faith does not appear in the Gospel of John. And yet we focus an awful lot on faith. But the word believe appears many, many times, and it's a verb. And I think to help us through some of this that we have in John 3.16 and following, especially when we hear the condemnation language that those who don't believe are condemned and those who do are not, we can, we can get caught up in that and miss what I think is the important point in this. And I think the important point is that believing is an action. It is something that we do. And we find that later in that passage. But before we get to that, uh, Jesus reminds Nicodemus that God did not, come in, did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And in John 3.16, God so loved the world. God loved the world in such a way that he sent his son. Nicodemus probably needed to hear that because I would guess that Nicodemus' understanding of, of who God loved had something to do with being righteous in God's sight. And how you became righteous in God's sight for Nicodemus as a Pharisee was by fulfilling the law, being, being uh, not fulfilling it, but living the law correctly. And what Jesus is saying to him is that God loves you, Nicodemus, one who is an observant Jew. God loves the Jew that's not observant. God loves people that aren't Jews. They love, he loves Gentiles. God loves the whole world. Now, for Nicodemus, that would have been real news. 
Because I don't think Nicodemus believed that about God. I think that's news for us as well. It's easy for us to believe that somehow we have a corner on the faith. We have a corner on an understanding of who God loves. And I don't think we're always conscious of it. I think it's one of those blind spots that we have. Often an unconscious thing that we, that we do. And it sometimes is, comes out in the way we express our faith. And I experienced that with Paul. When Paul would say to me, have you been saved? Are you saved? That's saying to me, you're not in yet, Tony. That's, what that, that's how I heard that. That's how I received it. So it's very easy for us, in expressing our faith even, to exclude people. Well, then uh, Jesus goes on and he says something that I think is extremely important for us to hear. He tells us what judgment is. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Judgment is something, in a sense, that's up to us. We can decide if we're going to be in the light or if we're going to continue in the darkness. And I believe that that is what Jesus is pointing Nicodemus to. He's inviting Nicodemus to step into the light, to allow the light to shine into his life in a complete way. And when we do that, we expose ourselves to the grace of God and all of God's mercy. In more recent years, I've come to believe that we sometimes limit the Holy Spirit. Because, as, as you recall in Scripture, we hear that the Spirit will go where it will. And I've come to believe that the Spirit is present in many, many faithful people who may not have heard the name of Jesus. I think it's possible for people who are not Christians to know what it means to walk in the light and not in the darkness. And I believe the Holy Spirit is present with them in a way that allows them, in a way that invites them to do that. And I believe that they experience God's grace and God's mercy. Now, that does not mean that there is not something unique about Jesus. I think there is something unique about Jesus and his life. Because in Jesus, we see the complete revelation of God. If you ever want to know about the nature of God, read the Gospels and understand how Jesus lived his life, the person that he was. I believe that our faith amounts to action. We are faced every day with decisions, and how we decide is our judgment. We're in Lent, and I believe that Lent invites us, like Nicodemus, to allow the light to shine in on us, to expose us in such a way that we find out who we really are. I believe that Nicodemus was changed that night as he talked with Jesus. But I don't think it was one of these things where all of a sudden he understood. I think it took time.
But we know that as time went on, it made it possible for him to go to Golgotha and to stand at the foot of the cross and to assist in the burial of Jesus. Him, a Pharisee, and a member of the Sanhedrin was willing to do that. Nicodemus had stepped out of the darkness into the light. I pray that as we go through this Lenten season, that each one of us will allow ourselves to be exposed to that wonderful light, that we might experience the full grace of God and all of God's mercies. Amen.